Hello there, all my faithful friends, viewers, listeners, uh, podcast pals, and old pards on the trail. <laughs> I'm sitting here, and someone asked me, you know, when you do a podcast, do you edit? Because they were going and editing their cat out, swear words, all kinds of things. I said, no. I like leaving it right off the cuff. My cat is a lot like Ed McMahon in the aspect that... Uh, he was Johnny Carson's sidekick. You know, my cat, she's always there. She's got to be in on it. And I finally just decided to hell with it. I'll let her, let her be my uh, faithful friend on this journey. <laughs> so I uh, am letting that at that. And, of course, the people, when I said that, said, who's, who's Ed McMahon? And I thought, wow, I'm really getting old here. Oh, wow. I used to love Johnny Carson. You know, I'd, my father uh, worked with my uncle at the Fort Ligonier Motor Lodge in Ligonier. And uh, he'd been a businessman. He'd been a uh, district supervisor for Household Finance and GE Credit Corporation as a manager. And uh, he wore these suits. He loved his suits. He loved his ties, you know. And... Uh, he would uh, come home every night from work. He'd uh, he was a fisherman, so he'd have a trout dinner. He want to relax, unwind a little bit, and he would sit there and turn on Johnny Carson. And that was was my childhood childhood sitting there with my father, trying to stay up till about eleven o'clock at night, and watch Johnny Carson. And most of the time, I'd fall asleep, leaning against his shoulder, <laughs> oh hey trout. That we'd been fishing for that weekend. It it brings back a lot of memories just talking about that. But you know, my podcasts are very 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 open. They're not uh, tinkered with. They're not refined. They're rough. Uh, they're soaked in bourbon, and they are pure of soul. <laughs> so. So what am I doing today and what's this about? Well, I want to talk about something true blue, shall we say, like this ink that's staying my hands. I got this, Noodler's has this base stayed blue and everybody's so terrified of this stuff, right? It literally is exactly what they say. <laughs> it is. <clears throat> Sorry. It's an ink that when you put it in a pen, it's going to stain your pen. But it's ink that it, you can clean it. I mean, I'm sure uh, bleach, there's several things on Nathan's site that mentions it. Uh, you can't mix it with other inks because of the pH of it. But it's the bluest blue. It doesn't wash out. When you write something on paper, it stays. And I'm adding this to a pen that I really don't have the greatest nib on and i'm not worried about ruining it but to sign books when i get back into signing books i have this ink and i have uh, black swan and australian roses i love noodler's inks i love noodler's pens i uh do like a stiffer nib that doesn't have the flex once in a while but i do i do love their inks and i found myself gravitating towards them so i uh had an opportunity to get this and uh Putting in this pen here. I have several books I'm signing for uh, people that wanted copies of it. I'm thinking to myself today, you know, I'm really 
thinking to myself about about life. We've had this year, and I've been dealing with a situation that really has been a little financially tough on me. We all have this this pandemic. It's made us reevaluate the simple things in life and the, all these other issues. But I was speaking to, to somebody the other day about this. It is the purpose of one's life. What is what is the purpose of your life? You know, you have things like this ink, but your words mean so much more and you you want them to have weight and value to them. You want to always be honest and true. Um, and you want to always have the value of the honesty in those words. So when I think of the purpose of one's life, I'm drawn back to this article I was reading. And people were saying to me, the company that I, I work for, I don't get paid a lot. I, 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 it's kind of an addiction, okay, to do this job. There's a lot of purpose in it. There's a lot of meaning in this job that I do. Counseling youth on drug and alcohol issues was my main thing. The other aspect was getting them jobs in the community. Sometimes higher paying jobs than I myself have. Teaching them to budget. Um, sometimes standing there with a grinder and cutting a TV uh, mount for them because they have an apartment and it won't work and nobody's there to help them and I happen to have it and I'm going up doing this and helping them move furniture upstairs and it's with my college degree you know I, I do not see it as being anything more than what uh, helping helping your brother out you know helping your brother out that motto always stuck with me People ask me, why do I do this particular job? And my hours have been drastically cut over the past few years because of different circumstances. This injury definitely has cut back on my hours. But I'm really very much reminded why the purpose of my life, 20 plus years and many other things I've done, has been to, to do stuff for the gratitude of knowing that my purpose of my life is to help other people and to meet them and see that I've made changes in their life. It's happened many times. <coughs> usually, I write into a client, and usually from the program where I help them get apartments and jobs, where I was not as a as much of a person of power making decide, deciding choices and decisions and uh, statements for them, but as of someone that was helping them out, someone that was being more of a mentor, that mentorship, that, that true apostolic mentorship. I ran into several clients and they say, hey, you know, Will, um, I'll be with my family or somewhere. And it's not about my books. It's not about being a writer. It's not about anything that I've done, any title I've earned. 
how many letters are after my name are in it. It's not about the power of who I am, what I present to the world, how I am treated back, and my body of work through the years. In life, nobody owes us anything. But when you have someone come up to you and say, Hey, Will, uh, I want you to meet my wife and my two children. Be it one of my female clients or one of my male clients. It's happened with both. And they say to you, um, The guidance you gave me changed my life. It may be as something as silly as them all listening to rap music and me coming in and turning Willie Nelson on or uh, Bob Dylan or some random, I, I believe one time it was William Shatner, I had a William Shatner CD and they were howling over it. They were like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. This is so different. And I, I helped them expand their belief systems to see beyond what they were always listening to. This particular kid was one that, uh, young man, I should say, was one who I had helped get into a uh, job as a chef. He was really much interested in becoming a chef and cooking, and he had a love for it. He had an incredible love for it. And I got him in at a Mexican restaurant. <coughs> I'll never forget that. I even know his name. I can't say it, obviously, but... He came up to me and said, I want to, you to know what you said to me meant so very much in my life that I can't put it into words. Um, you helped me to turn my life around. That's one of the things I always focused heavily on with clients and people is to Build on their strengths and then look at their weaknesses and give them the sense of accomplishment, the sense of um, not so much ego, but worth, a sense of their worth that they knew that they can try other things and do other things. And with this, this particular gentleman, I still talk about that, that simple meeting in the mall and what that meant. Out of all the different people I've met, all the people that come to me to sign a book, all the people that, uh, that one, that one stuck out. The second one was <coughs> a, uh, a supervisor said to me, this kid wanted to get into music. And he said, I know you have some background in music and you love doing it you know you uh you know different people and i said well it's not necessarily the best place for someone in placement to be so i go in i go into the studio i the uh this kid wants to be in there and my name dropping helped i guess and he wants to be a rapper and he's a very good rapper i've seen him out out just freestyling and it's it's a wonderful wonderful poetry and these people at studio were opening a beer and wanted to give me one and i said no i said i'm with a client my client cannot be around alcohol and i told them the whole thing and they're like oh wow okay so they put it away 
And uh, I, I helped I helped him avoid right there a situation where if I had not been there, let's say somebody just dropped him off, he probably would have drank that beer. And I explained to them this. This is a person that has had some tough breaks in life and wants to get into music for the purpose of expressing themselves, saying what they've been through. And of course, you know, hoping to make a living from it, or at least find accomplishment in it. Can you re record a few tracks? At that time, CDs were, people could record them on our computers, but to get the sound quality that you would have then, you needed the, the computer system and soundboard that they had, as well as the programs. And he recorded several tracks, and... I believe he went on to become a pretty famous uh, musician. And I, I thought to myself after, I've heard, heard from him a few times saying, hey, you know, check out my new song. And, you know, I felt that I was in the right place at the right time to uh, be a mentor. When the universe needs somebody, hopefully if you are the person in that place, at that time, when God needs you there, that that is your purpose. It's not about the fountain pen you write with, the pen you write with, the ink. It's not about the book. It's not about anything other than that. Like the page, the power of a piece, a poem, or a song is in the connection you make with the other person that's reading it. The power with music and words being that somebody 200 years from now, I was just reading some of uh, Robert Burns' poetry. Deeply moved, I could sit there and feel that little mouse that he was speaking about, or that little bird, or that, that rabbit. And he wrote that over 200 years ago. And in that moment, Robert Burns and I were both sitting in the same spot, thinking of that rabbit, that mouse, that little bird. And more deeply, what it meant in the context of all of our lives and the value we pulled on it. That's why I do what I do. When it comes to purpose, I consider that my ministry. A lot of people don't know that I am, in fact, an ordained minister. I come from a very long line of ordained ministers, going back to the 1600s when um, Robert uh, John Buell stood up to the king of France when he wanted him to convert his religion. And he said to the king's men, he held up his Bible and said, on these pines, I will not follow anything but this book. And he was brought before the king of France, the, the sun king, who was ironically a distant cousin of his. And he told the king this. He said, yeah, I, I will not submit to anything but my God and my words in this. No power has any jurisdiction over me than these words. This book is what I live and die by. And this is very true of these Huguenots, these, these Amish Mennonites that 
I'm descended from. The king was so moved by this that he said to John Buell, I'm going to knight you. I'm going to change your name and title to Bouchel or Beakley or Beachley, however you pronounce it. There's French pronunciations, there's English, there's uh, German, there's uh, Swiss pronunciations of the same name. They're all the same, and it can go within generations from being spelled B-E-E-G-H-L-E-Y to B-U-E-N-C-H-L-E-Y to even Peachy now. The name, the name changed because many of these people could not read or write, and it was written down and not properly put into the record. But John Buell at that time, his name and his knighted title meant little book. And he was allowed to wear the florilence of the king of France with the gold symbol on it, the lily. I had an ex-girlfriend that someone else had said about that symbol. And I played stupid, just kidding around, saying I didn't know what it meant. And of course, she had a little bit of a temper. I call her an ex-girlfriend, but really in your life, if you have deep friends that you connect with and lifelong, you know, you believe in them and you're proud of them, whether you agree with them or not, whether you're friends anymore or not, they are a holy kindred spirit, a, a, a brother or sister in this life. And it goes back to the, the idea of Ram Dass saying, meet, treat everybody you meet as if they are God in drag. Of course, this girl was like that. And she said, that, oh, this, this means this. And I'm kidding around. I never got to finish it because she became so angry at me. But I, I said later, you know, I know what that symbol means because I am one of the few, because of the last name, that is allowed to use that royal French symbol of the Sun King. In his moment, for whatever reason, the Sun King, Louis, decided that uh, in all of his wealth and parties and orgies and everything he did, that he didn't uh, want this man to be put to death, which he very easily could have won one way or the other. He could have said, Who does this, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? You know, Some poor farmer that's not going to submit to me and hold this book up. But no. Even in all of what King Louis was, he saw within him that connection. He respected the man. And from that, that time on, I have a long line of ministers and bishops and people within the Church of the Brethren and uh, Lutheran churches that have in their lifetimes, even though many of them I've never known, passed on a sense not just of religion, but spirituality through the ages. And my grandfather passed it on to me, my mother, so... I was taught very much, very much that. 
And there's a lot of the Native American in it too, because they were there's a lot of Native American in that the the, the healing they knew different plants, uh, especially this is a very much a Mennonite Amish thing, uh, the powwowing. <coughs> so I didn't exactly follow totally the to be ordained in their church, but I was ordained in another church, and I studied it, and I went to college for as well as psychology, religion. I was not as enamored with religion as I was with the spiritual psychology of Randy Kasky, Dr. Randy Kasky, the late Dr. Randy, the late and great friend of mine, Dr. Randy Kasky. And the teachings of people like Ram Dass, Wayne Dyer, the depth, the depth of every everything that is put into thought, even into music, like I said, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Khalil Gibran, Jack Kerouac. All these people looked life and look life in the face and say, what is my value of my life? What is my life's purpose? And it's a deep moment of contemplation, retrospection, truth, the paradigm shift of what you've known and going back to who you were when you were born and knew who you were. For me, that began truly when I felt to not go into a job that made a lot of money, but rather a job that made a difference it was on 9-11. Everybody has a 9-11 story. It's like World War II. It's like Pearl Harbor. But when you're born a stone's throw from Shanksville, Somerset, Pennsylvania, and lived there your whole life, it's the one place you never expect anything to happen, first of all. So I was at college. I went to two different colleges. And I always like going back to the community college because I had a lot of friends there. And I uh, ran into a kid, and he's standing there. I didn't hear anything. And that was how I learned about the plane sitting in the Twin Towers. And I said, I'm not going to class today. And I sat there talking to them. Then we heard about the one in Shanksville. Well, at that time, I was very worried because my mother and grandmother were near Shanksville. And all hell had breaking loose. So I came home, and my father was, of course, a World War II, Korean War veteran, seen everything, been through Pearl Harbor. And he was affixed to the TV, just stunned, just, just totally stunned. And he was speechless. Of course, my father was somebody that... He didn't have to put a lot into words. He lived his life. He knew the, the impact of wars and the impact of what all this meant. There was no good in it. And it kept re replaying all that horror of that day, the, the collapsing buildings and the names started coming in. The people that I knew, people that I knew in D.C., Leonard Shanksville, of course. I knew a lot of the firemen on scene, and the um, 
The college wanted wanted to help out with anthropology on the crash site, and I, I declined. I declined because I have known people that have done forensic work on crash sites, and it, it gave them PTSD from hell, the horrors of it. So I declined and uh, <coughs> kept kept up to date on what people were saying. And it came and went. It became a temporary memorial that was where people would come and leave things. And I was very moved from that point to see that things can happen anywhere in the world. And I met Lee Hennessy. He was, he was a woman that makes angel sculptures for these three sites. Uh, Flight 93, the Pentagon, and the Twin Towers. At that time, her husband, David, they were wonderful people. I spent a lot of time with them. It was very strange how I got to meet them. I won't go into that detail, that story, but I would go and I, I was, ironically, I had a group that we started when Jessica Lynch became a POW, me and this uh, actor I know out in LA. He had mainly, he'd mainly started it. I had wanted to get involved and said to him, hey, I'll be your feet on the ground and I was throwing around ideas, and of course, Lee came up. So I knew she was from Washington State. Well, it turns out she lived a block away from my grandmother at the time. Because with 9-11, she had been involved in it. And Drew and I, through Jessica's Candle, doing this for Jessica Lynch and other POWs and veterans and people, we, we got into a lot of other... Uh, we, we grew the the organization to be... Total charity where we would go in. We would not take any money for what we did. We would go in on the grace of God, believing that if we were needed there, we would be accepted and we, we would be the right person at the right time. I was very young, very naive, but I was very true. And... I spoke to Drew a lot. I spoke to a friend of mine, Anthony, that uh, had been in a car accident. I've, I've covered all this in podcasts before. But I went to Jessica Lynch's town, and I did a couple things at her school, too. I met her family. And it's not that I'm anybody important. I ran an organization. Um, felt blessed to be there. And like I said, every time we needed somebody or we needed to be there for somebody it just it just happened like magic you needed a uh, sheath for the angel because it's a metal pole on it that goes in the ground where there's supposed to be a concrete footer well there was none and just so happened the guy happened to have the exact same thing we needed and 12 o'clock at night we're out there getting this thing ready for the next day <laughs> it was it was a very magical time and up above Jessica Lynch's parents' place, up on top of the mountain, there's a cemetery and there's a church. I'd go up there and I'd pray. I'd go up and sit there and I'd look at the names of different people and thought of these different veterans, these wars that had died. And it was a very beautiful place. And at that point, I figured that what I was doing was ministry. Some people get involved in 
different charities and things because they want to make a name for themselves. Or they write books because they want to make a name for themselves. Or they do whatever. And they wear their titles like a badge. I've never done that with mine. I've, at that point in my life, decided that there were a lot of people way more important than myself, as far as I considered. I was a facilitator of that change that needed. I was the person at that time. My father inspired me to be there for the people of that community. I was very grateful for it that uh, Jessica's candle could be something like that. And I've spoken to Jessica Lynch since then. She's a very private person. She's a young lady that had been through a horrible thing. She never wanted fame. She dealt with the situation honorably. And like myself, if you speak to her today, she will not talk about herself. She will talk about Lori who was her friend that passed away in that attack. She would talk about any other soldier but herself. She's very humble. To her, she has taken what she could have made a lot of money on. Lived a private life and looked upon it as a ministry of her own charity that helps people and helps young children. So in the same respect, we've done the very same thing. And when I became ordained as a minister, I did it not because I wanted to run a church or the title, but because I wanted to make a commitment before God that my work I did would be from here on out to help people. And then if I didn't have any money in my pocket, that it would be up to God and God alone to to uh, get me through whatever storm. And then there are people on this earth that everything is about money. Dealing with, with one lately, and um, it's, it's sad to see somebody that that's all their life lives about is money and titles and things and such. The breath of change now with things being different where people can get a vaccination and everything is good change. It's good change in leadership. Our country was founded not on, I'm looking at this ink Bay State Blue. I don't see a royal seal on it anywhere. It's a colonial blue and it was Harkening back to the anti-Tory movements that founded this country on a belief that didn't matter who you were, how wealthy you are, what your title was, but rather what you could do for your brother, your neighbor, your friend, the people in Texas right now that are going through this horrible, weird, strange winter storm are relying on their brothers, their neighbors and their friends and strangers 
to be there for one another. So when I got into my job I've done the past 20 years, it has given me no titles. It's given me no wealth. It hasn't even given me health insurance. I've done it because I love the job. I love what I do. I love when I run into that one former client or that one person that says, what you did and the fact that you gave a damn gave me opportunity. It gave me a sense of purpose. Your sense of purpose of God guiding you and being in your life and you bearing witness to it is the very same bearing of witness they are to me. What price do we truly put on such things? And beyond my job, when you, with all my musician friends, especially like Kevin Eubanks, man, the guy, he can write, play, and make that guitar cry. And when I hear Kevin play it, in his wisdom, wow. <laughs> it's not just music theory. He's, he's touching into a universal feeling of love and universal feeling of divinity. Jimi Hendrix. Raylan Nelson. <laughs> I like Raylan. She's she's like a she's like a long lost sister, but man, her music lately has been so good. And the fun she's having with it and her witty humor. I mean, you just, you just can't help but love it. Taylor Swift and Taylor. I don't always understand Taylor Swift, but I do uh, look at her work and say, wow, this is really good. And if I was younger and could understand some of the nuances, I'd probably understand it a lot more. But this old man thinks that that's the, her work this year has been an incredible work of taking pain and solitude and putting it into real feeling that has reached out to so many people and given them something just to hold on to. That's your life's purpose. The most controversial thing I'll say is probably because I've always listen to Wayne Dyer and not so much preachers in a church, but I'll say it is that we are all ministers in some way or another. We are all here to live our life guiding others and to proclaim that connection we have with others. In the work you do with your family, with your daily tasks. What you do now is what you are a witness to the universe being aware of itself. 
So when you let go of that ego, you let go of all those titles, especially now during a pandemic where we're all equal. The illusion is gone. The illusion of wealth, illusion of comforts, the illusion of all the things you can buy. And it grounds you right back to the moment where you're living. So I give you that to contemplate on, like some Zen quote from Alan Watts or Lipo or Confucius or the Buddha. What is the divine purpose of your life today? Have you reached those goals that you set? And if not, if you feel short of your own understanding of why you're here, how did that teach you even more than what you planned? Believe in that synchronicity. Believe in your brothers and sisters and fellow man and Be the light that shines in the darkness. Thank you.